0: You guys, welcome to episode 17 of The Smush Room, the podcast that deep dives in the well-known and, more importantly, not-so-well-known hookups of your favorite reality TV stars. It is me, Troy McGeady, and uh, I'm going to be honest with you, today's episode is a little bit self-serving. It's something that I wanted to do for a really long time, and I felt like now would be appropriate because, actually, I wanted to record this one like months ago like well it, we're, this is week 17 so it's been i wanted to record it like last month but molly and i had just done the britney and kevin chaotic special and i felt like i didn't want to like bombard you with britney content or like make you think that i'm gonna force you to listen to me talk about her for hours every week because i could and truthfully that's what i want to do but i know that that's not feasible <laughs> so i waited a little bit to record this one um I don't know, this is a relationship that I think people, for some reason, didn't really have a whole lot of interest in at the time. Um, They didn't really, like, for some reason, like, it was known and it was public, but nobody really cared about it. And I care a lot, which I guess is the basis of this entire operation. Um, I'm going to be talking about Britney Spears and somebody named Columbus Short. You may or may not even know who he is. Um, he's definitely sort of like a C slash D list celebrity. But uh, at the time, Britney broke up a marriage between him and his wife. Her name was Brandy. And <clears throat> we actually talked about this a little bit at the very end of the Chaotic Special about um, this relationship and how Britney sort of ended this marriage. And. Oh my God, sorry. Oh my Lord. You get me talking about Britney and I channel my inner hillbilly. I'm like burping on my goddamn podcast. Um, But she ended this marriage. I mean, she was the catalyst for these two divorcing. And like shortly before this, like this is right before she married Jason Alexander. And I have a theory that I'll run by you that I believe she did that as a result of this relationship to kind of get back at her family and at Larry. Um, and I just wanted to be known, by the way, that this is the second time I'm recording this episode. I did it before, and it was weird and splotchy, and there were glitches, and I sounded like a fembot, and I don't know, so now I need a cough drop in order to record the second one, because my voice is basically gone, so if you hear me, like, clanking a fucking lozenge around, like, I'm sorry, I feel bad, I will try and edit it out, but I need it in order to talk, (laughs) like... (laughs) I'm about to start sounding really raspy here in a second, but we'll power through. And um, like I said before, this is definitely a self-serving episode, so I'll try not to go on too many like rants and tirades and tangents um, about Britney and my fandom, but it'll be hard, especially at this time, because 2003 is my favorite year of her life. Yes, I have a favorite year of Britney's life that she was living. And 2003 is it. I love 2003 Britney. I love early 2003 Britney. Um, To me, this is like... I consider this to... I I call this her Drew Barrymore phase, and I'll explain that in a second as well. But I guess we can kind of get right into it. Um, So Britney and Columbus dated from October of 2003 to October of 2003. So in other words, this was a little bit of a fuck session. Like, they hooked up, they dated for like a month, you know, she just was kind of fucking him for a while, and then they were split apart by her management, which we will also get to a little bit later, and like I said, somehow this relationship is kind of just not really, nobody knows about it, people don't talk about it, people don't care about it, you know, people always talk about, the fact that Kevin Federline was married when she met him and, you know, or not married, but he had a, a pregnant girlfriend when she met him. And, you know, Char was like completely blindsided. But that was the second time in a row that Britney had actually, had actually broken up a, home, a happy home. Um, so yeah, I just love 2003 Britney because she just gives zero fucks. And I'm here for it. Um, and uh, hopefully maybe you'll learn a little bit more about Columbus Short by the time this is over. Not that it's necessary. I guess if you watch Scandal, you would know who he is, because he's on that show. Um, I think he just recently got killed off the show, or he was killed off a a year or so ago or something. I don't know. I've never seen Scandal. Um, but he was on that. He's really attractive. He's a really good-looking guy. Um, he used to be a dancer, and then when that didn't work out for him after this, he switched over to acting. But... Let's start with Britney. Um, Like I said before, 2003, I consider to be the Drew Barrymore phase of her life because she was on this like sort of road to self-discovery and, you know, it would eventually lead to her inevitable breakdown. Like it, it led to this very dark sort of destructive path. But in the very beginning, it was rooted in just a very innocent sort of natural desire to, I think, be young and carefree and just figure out who you are and who you want to date and who you don't want to date and who you're sexually attracted to and who you want to fuck and who you who you are. She was just young and kind of feeling herself and this was a period where she was taking a break and I'm saying that with quotes because there's no such thing as a break in Britney Spears's life but she was taking a break from her career to kind of like focus on herself and this was also a period of Her being very unlucky in love, you know, she was dating around a lot, and I think she had really lost control of her public image at this point. Um, There were a lot of men that had a lot of opinions about her at this time, and they were sort of using her. She was already on this crazy media circus and this crazy sort of train. And there were a lot of men who were using her name to kind of keep their name going. So she had a lot of people saying shit about her in the press. And, you know, she had just broken up with Justin Timberlake. It was a really transitional phase for her. And I don't think she was ready for it. And I don't think we were ready for it. I don't think we were ready to see her in that light. I mean, not even a year prior, she was still technically a virgin, according to her people. They were still trying to hold up that virginal thing. And, you know, 2003, like this whole sort of era is when she was forced to sort of deal with that because she was not a virgin. Um, (laughs) and they were basically like, okay, so we have to address the fact that everybody knows now that you've definitely had sex. Um, but yeah, I just want to kind of really quickly start by running through, like, where she was career-wise at this point, and, like, really to kind of, pin like, to pinpoint how famous she really was, because I think people, f- when you talk about her at this time, I think a lot of people, you'll hear people say, like, oh, she was the most famous person in the world, blah, 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 blah and the most famous person of the decade, and so on and so forth and i think that that those phrases kind of fall on deaf ears only because we hear them so often like you so often hear people talk about like how famous she was and blah 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 but i mean really like i want to like break it down and like really get into what was going on in her life during this alleged break (laughs) in her uh in her career where she was supposed to be taking time off And like I said earlier, 2003 is my, in my opinion, the greatest year of her life. It was the funnest. Um, She was just kind of out being fancy and free and doing whatever she wanted to do. And it was the the first time I think that her career really started to over, to be overshadowed by the personal stuff going on in her life, the stuff with her relationships, with her family. Um, her drinking, her, like, using drugs, her partying, all of that stuff sort of took a front ste- seat for a while. And I think a lot of critics wondered whether or not she, this is something that would keep happening. Like, was the Britney that we knew gone? And was she now going to turn into this person who was famous for being famous and famous for being drunk all the time? And, you know, like, Paris Hilton famous, you know what I mean? And, and not famous for having, like, an actual career. And... She was becoming a huge tabloid target, especially, you know, as a result of her breakup with Justin, you know, I think she was really just enjoying the attention that she was getting from having that terrible breakup. And I think she was enjoying the attention she was getting for doing other things. I think she thought that going out and being with men and going to clubs and being drunk and, and appearing to be happy and not you know phased by him breaking up with her i think that she thought she was sort of like winning like that was her way of showing him like oh, no i'm beating you like i'm i'm the happy one i won I, you know what i mean i'm out with colin farrell i'm out with fred durst which we'll get to in a second here you know i think that was her way of sort of showing like i'm the winner in this i don't look stupid i don't mind that he released that song about me i don't care you know I'm, i'm happy you know and i think she used men and alcohol to could sort have of fill those emotional voids that were happening in her life at that time. I mean, if you look back, like her parents were divorcing, you know, her father was still a full-blown alcoholic, her aunt had just committed suicide, you know, she had broken up with Justin, you know, she had no privacy. Like her privacy was being completely stripped away at that point. Cause she was a part of this huge circus with that relationship ending. And like I said, I think she started using substances and men to kind of fill those voids and just kind of block out what was actually going on, which just further proves my point that I've always said about her. And I like, actually, um, on one of our new emotionally broken psychos, uh, Pa- uh, pages, Jesus Christ. I mean, you can tell that I've done this already now. I'm sorry. My energy was so turned like 20 minutes ago. Um, one of our new podcasts through Emotionally Broken Psychos with Kara Berry and Ryan Bailey about uh, Kylie Jenner's new reality show that's premiering, I want to say on the 23rd of August. I could be wrong, or maybe it already did premiere. I'm not sure. I should have checked that before, but I heard Kara say that, you know, She um, compared Kylie to Britney in the sense that they're two people who have been famous their whole lives, and they don't know what it's like to not seek attention and not receive attention, and they don't want to exist in a world where they don't get it, even if they think they they do. And I actually completely agree with that. Like, I think a lot of the issue with these people, like, you look at somebody like Justin Bieber, who claims to like not want the attention and he wants to be left alone but then he does really outlandish things so that people talk about him because I don't think he if they get like an ounce of not being talked about I think they lose their shit you know what I mean I think they seriously just lose it because they don't know that world it would be the exact same for us I think like if all of a sudden every single thing you did was blown up and you were in tabloids and talked about by millions of people, you would freak the fuck out and you would want to retreat back to what you know, which is not being talked about in that way. And I think that for them, it's the complete same, but just reverse where they just want to retreat back to what they've known and what's always made them feel happy, which is being constantly, you know, fulfilled. And uh, what's the word I'm looking for? Validated by media coverage and by attention, and fans, and people throwing shit at you on stage, and selling out your arenas for you, and listening to every word that you say, and wanting exclusives from you, and wanting to buy your products, and like all that bullshit. But yeah, I think that they definitely kind of have that in common. Oh my god, I should like drink a coffee or something. My energy is so low now, I feel bad. We're only 12 minutes in though, so I can kind of pick it up. I'm gonna pop another cough drop in my mouth, please excuse me. (laughs) I'm 97 years old. Um, and in 2003 Britney had also released her critically acclaimed at this point now In The Zone which in my opinion is the most important and the best album of her entire career I think In The Zone is her greatest work I think it's her biggest accomplishment I think all of her albums up to that point had had you know huge cultural imp- cultural impacts obviously it had been very important for different reasons were very impactful to you know the culture at that time for different reasons but i think very specifically within the zone that was the album that sort of solidified her as a pop icon and like moved her away from being like a princess or like a you know a girl who was maybe a flash in the pan in some way which i think at that point we had kind of known britney wasn't going anywhere but it really solidified it as like oh you're actually like one of the queens you're not just like another one of those pop girls that's had a long a long career and I think it also had really solidified her as the next in line to Madonna, um, and I think Madonna had really solidified that as well. I think she sort of, in her own way, had come forward and said like I choose, I, I choose, I choose Britney. Like I choose her as the one to replace me. You know, by them recording in the or, uh, in the zone together. Or, I'm sorry, me against the music together and performing at the VMAs and their friendship, and them sort of pimping each other out that whole year. I think that was her way of sort of saying, like, she's the next me. I choose her. Of all the girls, of of Brittany and Christina and Jessica and Mandy and all, of, of Willa, I'll throw Willa in, why not? It's 2003. Of all the girls, she's the one that I choose to, like, take my place, and that was really important. And I think everybody sort of knew that at that point, that it was unspoken, but it was also sort of, like, realized, like, okay, so she's now up there with her. And I just wanna really quickly to go through the singles from that album because I mean the impact that they had culturally at that time was just completely insane. I've said culturally forty eight times in the past two minutes. I'm very sorry. Um the first one being me against the music obviously huge fucking impact like the first song that madonna's ever been featured on as a, f- a feature and not as like the person driving the song or the the song that it's going to be on her album she was the first you're the person who gets the first madonna collab where she's a guest in the if <laughs> she's not in the driver's seat like that's huge toxic obviously you know the strongest and probably most successful single from in the zone and received huge critically critical acclaim and you know was perceived by her fans and by music critics and by people who i think aren't even really big giant britney fans to be the song that kind of defined her career like toxic was toxic is now like the descriptor that people use when they describe britney she's the toxic singer you know what I mean? That song is now her legacy. It's like her, her Vogue. You know what I mean? That's the song that in, in 30 years, when she's an old woman, <laughs> that's the one that they'll constantly still, because if you think about it, I mean, it's been more than 10 years and they still quote her as the toxic singer, the toxic star, the toxic singer. It's always in there somewhere. Um, every time, like, can we talk? The response to Justin Timberlake's Crimea River and what is often described as, you know, the greatest thing artistically that she's ever done in her career. You know, she wrote that song, she came up with the arrangement. You know, I mean, that song was so impactful not only on our culture, but I mean, like that relationship was already just such a huge, giant, heavily covered breakup and that really was just like pouring a giant bucket of gasoline on it like all of a sudden it was the most important thing happening in the entire world was that these two like 20 21 year old kids had broken up and he had released his song and she had released her response and it was just I mean we hadn't really ever seen anything like that before ever and you know that music video is often cited as being something that sort of predicted you know her future breakdown and it's predicting sort of, like, where her career would end up and what she was sort of trying to, I guess, communicate to the public of what she was feeling or what was going on in her mind at that time. And, I mean, I always go back to, like, I don't know if you guys remember back in the day, like, that song the music video, like, the treatment that they had come up with for that video was so much different, and I remember it was so controversial, like, they didn't want to release it because they thought that it would be, like, a bad, you know, for her younger fans to see her like that, but she was supposed to commit suicide in that music video, and at the end, when they, I guess they, they changed it to, like, the reason she drowns is because her, the camera guy had hit her head earlier and, like, given her a concussion, but she was actually supposed to slit her wrist and, like, I believe take a bunch of pills or something like she was supposed to od and kill herself in that bathtub so like if that's not i mean for where she was in 2007 where she ironically was in a bathroom with her kids and a knife a butcher knife trying to protect them from the you know from cps taking them away i mean that is really insane that that was like what she was sort of feeling like she should communicate to the world at that time so oh and then i guess the the one that the honorable mention would be a song called outrageous that ended up not actually having a music video because she fell on the set of that music video and twisted her knee out of socket or broke it or whatever the hell happened. I think she dislocated it or something. She had to get a couple screws in her leg and that was the catalyst for that tour ending. Um, I truthfully believe that she really wanted to just end that tour no matter what. I think she wanted to just hang out with, with Kevin and fucking eat butter beans and, smoke blunts and give blowjobs and like just hook up in like hotels in different parts of the world um and that you know that injury kind of helped (laughs) kind of helped in that because she definitely did not want to be on that tour at all there's i mean there's nothing there's no way that she wanted to keep touring and the only reason i mean molly and i've talked about this the only way she would have done it is if kevin was with her that's why they you know she forced him to come on the tour with her if he hadn't i don't think she would have kept going even before that so that was that tour ended i want to say seven months into i want to say it was seven months it could have been even less but i think it was seven months that they went on tour uh for the onyx hotel before it ended um and then also in the same year britney performed at the vmas with madonna and missy Elliott and christina aguilera the kiss the lesbian moment heard all around the world like awakened millions of girls (laughs) And her lesbian, and uh, uh, it was the the reason for many people's sexual awakening, that kiss. I mean, when you look back on moments that have happened in our pop culture, not even just at the VMAs, but just in general, like in music culture, in anything, like that has to be, a, what, a top 20? Right? Like, I would assume that would be like a top 20 moment. I mean, that was like a moment that literally changed the direction that our culture was headed Or where award shows were headed where music was headed like where celebrity culture was headed i mean that was like so incredibly impactful and shocking at that time to see two women that famous kissing on tv you know what i mean and and it's it just kind of tells you like where we were culturally at that time the fact that like just seeing two women kiss on an award show was like so controversial and people were so outwardly homophobic about it you know what i mean like it was looked down on by a lot of people, by a lot of news publications, by, you know, a a lot of people in this country because it was two women kissing. You know what I mean? And they both, you know, she took the brunt of a lot of that, of, you know, being a terrible role model and all these things and, and, and being perceived as a whore because she's kissing a woman on a stage. I mean, this was a and by the way again just to reiterate this was supposed to be the time that she was taking a break this was her her management giving her a break and uh i also just want to really quickly kind of go through what was technically considered to be the break period in her career as well and what was going on (laughs) during that time um now that was like music wise now we're gonna go through like the scandals the scandalos because there's a lot happening there's a lot to get through there's a lot to discuss we have fred durst to talk about which i can't like my energy 20 minutes like an an hour ago when i talked about fred durst was through the goddamn roof because he angers me so much he's such a disgusting slut pig um but yeah so obviously you know She had just broken up with Justin, as we discussed before, and the Crimea River video was released. He had basically blasted her all over the media. He was going on Howard Stern and talking about, you know, how they had sex and what her body was like and, you know, smell my fingers and blah, 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 which I'm sure you all know. I don't really need to go into like full detail with that, but you know, I mean, he was just being a complete fucking asshole. And I have a quote here from Rolling Stone that, you know, when they, which, I don't know why this Rolling Stone interview was not more, uh, is not more popular, because I don't think she was on the cover of this one in 2003, actually, I'm gonna google it really quick while I'm doing this, I don't know, I don't think she was on the cover of it, but there's an interview in here that's, like, really fucking good, where she talks about, you know, him calling her to basically tell her that he was gonna release the video, so she said, I'm going to break it down right now, okay? You want the scoop, you want the truth, here it is. He called me up and asked me if it was okay. I can't believe I'm telling you this right now, but who cares? So he called me up and wanted to supposedly get back together or whatever, but behind it was, and by the way, you're in a video that's coming out, that kind of got slipped in, and then he said, don't worry, it's not a big deal. So the record label called and said, if you want to change this, you can. I had the power to say no to the video, but I didn't because I thought, hey, it's your video, so whatever. And then the interviewer asked her, like, well, had you seen the video or like, what did you think about it? And she said, I hadn't seen it. And then it came out and I said, I should have freaking said no to this shit. I was like, whoa, what is going on right now? And then she basically contacted him and said, why did you do this? And he said, (laughs) he goes, well... I got a controversial video and I was like, "Yeah, you did." She clapped her hands as if a dog had just performed a trick and she said, "Yay for you." So he got what he wanted. She cleared her throat and said, "I think I looks I think it looks like such a desperate attempt personally, but that's but that was a great way for him to sell a record. He's a really smart guy. He's really smart." And she sort of like sh- chuckled. And I just want to say I know that I'm biased because he's hurt a person who's very close to me that means a lot to me. Um, But I fucking hate Justin Timberlake. I've always hated Justin Timberlake. I don't think he's funny. I don't think he's charming. I don't think his SNL appearances are so fucking out of this world that people need to, like, lose their shit and buy the box set for the season that he was on. Get a grip. He's not that funny. Like, he's okay. He's not, like, that great. He's not... (laughs) he's not, like, some fucking comedy legend, like, he's a douchebag, I think the reason that I think that of him is because I remember being younger and constantly seeing those video clips on, like, you know, behind the music and stuff on VH1 when they would talk about, like, in, like, a Mickey Mouse Club, when they would talk about, like, where these people came from, and, like, whenever they would do bios on Justin Timberlake, they would always show him uh, as a child in pageants, because, I don't know if you realize this or not but he is a child of pageantry. Like he's a southern pageant child. And I just picture him in like his fucking Wranglers up to his neck and his goddamn cowboy boots and his rhinestone cowboy hats like rooting and tooting all over the stage with his finger guns, thinking that he's charming and cute with his Jerry curl and he's not. He's not cute, and he's not charming and he's not funny to me. I don't really get it. I know people love him. I just feel like he is a spell over this country, and he's had a spell over you guys, not me, for like 20-something years, and like during a certain period of his life, I totally get it. I thought he was really charming, really cute. He was the hottest one in NSYNC, without any doubt, but then he became like such an asshole, and he took himself so serious, and I don't understand how you can take yourself that serious and also consider yourself to be this like comedy guy you know what i mean like he looks at himself as like this iconic legend like he he's so self important and self-involved and it's such a huge deal to get justin timberlake to sing but at the same time he's also like a attention seeking little okay i'm getting insane i'm really exposing a side of myself to you guys see about 10 minutes ago i was not feeling very perky and now all of a sudden i'm like standing up and pacing and like smoking Like, he just triggers me. I just, I've never liked him. I've never understood the appeal. I I just, I don't get it. And then uh, that was definitely solidified at the Oscars this year when he was like, fucking rooting and tooting like he was in, in pageants behind Jessica Biel like when they were photographing her and he could not just like give her her fucking moment it had to be about Justin Timberlake let me also just add by the way I feel like sharing clueless right now when she's like going on that tirade about <laughs> about the about uh partying with the Haitians so I've also always had an issue with the fact that he Allowed Janet Jackson to just fully go under and get fucking attacked in this country after the Super Bowl. He never came forward and said anything about the fact that they both were involved in that. You know what I mean? And like he did that. Like yes, and we all know by now that he was supposed to rip off her cup, and it was not supposed. It was there was a whole thing involved, and he ripped off too much, and he took her whole thing off, and he her titty popped out. We all know that by now. But like. He just let her be blamed for that. And what did she even do? He pulled it off of her. She was exposed all over the goddamn world at the Super Bowl with her titty out and she got blamed for it. And he never one time came forward and said anything to try to help it. And to me, like, that's the kind of guy Justin Timberlake is. He's an opportunist I need to breathe. <laughs> Holy shit! <laughs> so I don't like him. Um. Uh, <laughs> moving on, though. So she also during that time during her break, she uh, opened up a restaurant. I don't know if you guys remember this or not, but it was a restaurant called Nyla, and it was supposed to represent New York and Los An. I'm sorry, New York and Louisiana. Louisiana being where she's from, New York being where she was living at the time, it was supposed to be this sort of, like, southern fusion New York restaurant, and I don't know who was responsible for this, but this was a definite misstep in her career, like, I don't know, I, I, I in my mind, I, I, picture that somebody, like, pitched this and probably thought that they would be able to just kind of attach her name to it without her ever having to be there or do anything, um, you know what I mean? The concept does sort of sell itself, like, New York Southern cuisine would be cool, especially in 2003, before, like, the entire fucking world was, we were all foodies and taking pictures of our food. I get it, but it just didn't work out. Like, there were, somebody had taken pictures in that restaurant of, like, dented cans and, you know, expired food, um, things in the refrigerators there that were having, like, mold growing them and stuff, all the stuff that she had nothing to do with, but, like, obviously took the blame for because it, it her name is on it. So the restaurant ended up closing after seven months, and it had, you know, a ton of bad press and bad reviews, like, public health code violations, like, that they weren't passing that were in the New York Post. I mean, it was just a really terrible, terrible idea to open that restaurant in the first place. And that same Rolling Stone interviewer asked her, like, why she got involved in that or what the deal was. And she basically said, "I don't know what the hell was going on with that." She said, "I know." She said, "I don't know why we ever did that." To be honest with you, it was just something a business manager wanted to do, or something like that. Um, And then the person kind of kept pressing her to talk about it, and she like didn't want to. And she said, "Excuse me." She said, "Uh, "Why don't we talk about my new music and, and like not focus on this restaurant?" And the person like kept pushing it, and she goes. To be honest with you, it's a restaurant, and I don't really give a shit. (laughs) I don't know why that made me laugh so hard. Um, To be honest with you, it's a restaurant. I don't really give a shit. Like, that should have been a thought maybe when they had gone into business with her opening a restaurant, but that's just me. Um, And I also wanted to kind of circle back to this story that I find really interesting that I think really had a huge impact on her career at that time where, okay, let's like get into this now. So she had basically been, she wasn't photographed, but there was a source that had claimed that they had seen her at a club in Miami called Crowbar snorting coke. You guys, I hate to cut you off, but at this point, I think you know the drill. You've got to be a Patreon member to hear the remainder of this episode. So go to patreon.com slash ebpsychos At that point, you will, uh, be asked to donate, and then when you donate at this level, you'll get this podcast, you'll get the remainder of all the episodes every single week, you'll get Liz Bentley's Feathers in My Hair, which is the Teen Mom podcast, um, you'll get me and Molly's, uh, Brittany and Kevin Chaotic special, you'll get all the stuff that Molly does exclusively through Patreon, it's well worth it, and also, if you're not a member of our Facebook group, go to mollyandthepsychos.com, it'll take you straight to it, And uh, all we do all day and all night is talk about reality TV. It's super fun. So, like I said, patreon.com slash ebpsychos and mollyandthepsychos.com. Seeking the truth never gets old.